Hi, this is Lindsay from Vancouver, British Columbia. Jed Bartlett is My President is a Chipperish media production and is entirely funded by listeners like you. To support Chipperish and gain access to exclusive content, please visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Thanks! Hi, and welcome to Jed Bartlett is My President, a podcast about the West Wing and denial. My name is Lonnie Diane Rich, and every week I take an in-depth look at an episode of the West Wing along with a special guest. And for a little while, we pretend that the worst thing happening in the White House right now is that the fate of two turkeys lies in the hands of the press secretary. This week's episode is Shibboleth, the eighth episode of season two, and here to chat with me about it is my special guest, Liz Lutz. Liz has been teaching literature and writing to high school students for 16 years and is my best friend from high school and is also one of the smartest and most genuine people I have ever known. Welcome, Liz. Hello. Hi, baby. So nice. Well, it's so wonderful to have you with me. I love oh, doing so this excited. with you. Um, so this I'm so, so excited great. that we're doing a whole episode about all of the things you did in high school. That's what we're doing, oh, right? Like oh, is that what this is? That's what all I'm All of thinking. the embarrassing things that, that I did in high school? Is that not I what think, we're doing here? Well, no, I think we may need to save that as like a special <laughs> episode. Maybe what we'll do is record that at the end and I'll put it just out to the Patreon subscribers because gotcha. they will they will very much enjoy that. But I think everybody else, most of the people listening, just want us to talk about West Wing. So how about we Fabulous. do that? <laughs> I'm very excited and I'm very nervous that I will not be able to say shibboleth correctly throughout this right. entire episode. I, I don't know if I've said it correctly or not, but you know what? I think that like, you know, it, what matters is your intent, right? That, that we're trying to do it right. Jed Bartlett so, definitely would not let me in to the country based on my no, pronunciation. But. Jed Bartlett would put me in a shipping container and just <laughs> let me go. Send right? right back. <laughs> send me right back. All right. So my question for you is this. Do you think that Morton, the turkey guy, not understanding that the president can't pardon a turkey is an indictment of our educational system? Um, yes, I do. <laughs> you a do. Little bit. Um, I think, you know, throughout West Wing, they um, there's a lot of criticism or indictments of the educational system. Sure. Um, <laughs> you know, I can think of a few right off the top of my head, although there is that great speech that um, Sam gives when he's defending his position on education. But oh, um, yeah. overall, I think the, their focus is really on improving education. I do not know that Morton is the best representation of our education system, however. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know if we can use him as a measure of whether or not <laughs> we're doing a very good job. However, when Donna doesn't know, that's troubling. Yes. <laughs> So, well, I mean, you know, every year the president pardons a turkey. I think after a while you just stop questioning it. Well, you know, I, it's true. And for a hot second when I was listening to it, I thought, wait, you can't do that? Oh, exactly. Yeah, the president can do whatever he wants, right? <laughs> you can Apparently. military service, but you can't pardon him? Yeah. <laughs> the presidency is a very complicated thing. I just have to tell you that. So our educational our... system failed me as well. So. Yes, no, it failed both of us. We went to the same high school, so <laughs> right. we are definitely an indictment of, if nothing else, than that high school. At least that high school, yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> this episode aired on November 22nd, 2002, and was written by Aaron Sorkin with a story credit to Patrick Cadell, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And this episode was also directed by Laura Innes, who some of you might remember as Dr. Carrie Weaver from ER. So I was excited to see that we have like a female, you know, kind of representing doing some directing there. I know. I thought that was pretty cool. So here's the interesting fact for today's episode. The annual tradition of presenting the president with a turkey started with Harry Truman in 1947, but he didn't pardon them. Like he ate them (laughs) (laughs) because he was Truman. (laughs) What else was he going to do? Exactly. So the first president who actually issued a pardon to a turkey was Ronald Reagan in 1987. And it was done as a humorous poke at the question of whether or not he would pardon Oliver North for his part in the Iran-Contra scandal. I love that they're making a joke out of the Iran-Contra scandal. Like... I, I know. I didn't think in 1987 that that was funny. But maybe maybe that was. Maybe there's a context there that I'm just kind of missing. Let's add a little the... levity to this Iran-Contra scandal. 
let's just exactly let's, let's do that <laughs> we, gotta, we gotta lighten up our scandals but the annual pardoning of the turkey became a regular tradition under george hw bush in 1989 the turkeys came from a flock of about 80 birds that are trained specifically trained to withstand camera flashes and loud noises and crowds and from that flock Two are sent to the White House to be named by the staff and then a final pardonee chosen. So that's how that works. So, I mean, could this whole episode just really be about that turkey? I think it really is. The turkey that isn't chosen. I know. I think it's about Troy. It's about the sad sadness that is Troy. I think so. (laughs) Who doesn't like to be touched. (laughs) 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 All right. Let's go to the synopsis. In this episode of The West Wing, CJ gets stuck with another unenviable task, this time deciding which of two turkeys gets the axe at Thanksgiving. A group of Chinese refugees washes up on the coast of California claiming religious persecution, and our merry band of public servants needs to figure out how to deal with the situation. Toby wants to use Leo's sister Josie to pick a fight with Senate Republicans about prayer in schools, and Charlie must find the president the perfect carving knife for Thanksgiving. So I want to start off today by talking about something that actually is happening in the real world, but that I think is somewhat relevant to what we've been talking about on Jed Bartlett is my president. And it's about Aaron Sorkin. He did a recent panel about diversity at the WG Festival, which is put on by the Writers Guild. Um, And uh, there's a Variety article that has all the information. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But People were talking about diversity and issues of diversity in um, in television writing and movie writing, and his responses were unbelievably clueless. They would have been clueless back 15 years ago when he was writing The West Wing, but right, they're but now. especially clueless right now. Like right. I, when I read them, I thought they were clearly clearly sarcastic but i'm going to read the quotes to you because you're not familiar with this so i just want to see what your response is i'm going to read them without inflection but i mean (laughs) it it sounds okay his one of his quotes is are you saying that women and minorities have a more difficult time getting their stuff read than white men and you're also saying that white men get to make mediocre movies and can continue on so is so and and so in that statement he seems to be suggesting that that contention is not true. That this no, that this that, is news to him is what he's, <laughs> what right, he's right. like. Likely, are you white saying men can make mediocre movies and still keep going? Yeah, and that there's some sort of inequality between like, white men and minorities and women. He's surprised by that. He's no, yeah. He seems to be like, wow, is this? He seems to be surprised. And, but he's in this business, and like this is common knowledge. So his other quote was. You're saying that if you are a woman or a person of color, you have to hit it out of the park in order to get another chance. Like, wow. yeah, no. So so anyway, he he these are the, the things that he said. And when I read it, it sounded clearly sarcastic because all of this is, is common knowledge like that, that it is obviously it's mostly white men getting movies made and getting television made, although it's much, much better now, much better now than it has been in the past. I mean, we are seeing a huge amount of improvement and that's great, but we're not quite there yet. So the idea that Aaron Sorkin, who has been working in this business for so long, can be so wrapped up in a fuzzy cloud of privilege that he is completely unaware is is astounding to me and it also um it also kind of makes a lot of things about the west wing make sense because i think that aaron sorkin genuinely means well um and he did come out uh, with a clarification but i'm not sure that the clarification really helped him that much he said Of course, I'm aware of the diversity problem in Hollywood. I was the one who brought the subject up Saturday morning and kept coming back to the subject. And Mm. then he started like asking a lot of questions. Is it because studio heads aren't greenlighting the movies? Is it because studio executives aren't bringing the projects to studio heads? Is it because agents are bringing projects to studio executives? Is it because agents aren't getting the material? Like there's all this stuff 
um, that he, it just seems like he was asking questions, like he was repeating people back at themselves, I guess, to like restate what the question was that they were asking, which is sometimes a technique that you, you do when you're, you know, talking to people, especially if the person asking you the question doesn't have the microphone, you'll repeat the question, right. you know, but it's, so it, but it comes across as him questioning the validity of those statements. Yeah, no, it comes across like it was the weirdest thing. So, so I am not sure because his clarification didn't really clarify for me like what he was right. saying. But I find right. it really interesting because I, I do think like he's a brilliant man. He's a brilliant writer. I think he's genuinely well-meaning, but it, it sort of opens up the, the idea that he can say that stuff without being completely sarcastic about it, that this is right. a sincere well, question is weird. You know, and he's, so he's a product of the gender construct he's been yeah. um part of for his whole life too. So he's not, he probably does not, you know, how old is Aaron Sorkin? He's like 10 years older than we are. Right. Yeah. So I feel like he may be slightly enlightened, but you know, I think, did he say something like if you write it, they will come in terms of, you know, oh, yeah. if you write something good, <laughs> if you, no matter whether you're a woman or a yeah, minority, that's what if he you says. write something good, right. you will succeed. And I think that that's, I think that when you grow up, exactly that when, when, when you grow up, you know, and, and 10 years older than us, I mean, we basically are the, the oldest people who, who generally in our generation kind of get it. Like, you know, right. we're right. at the, we're right. at the, we're right at the cusp of that. Um, right. And he's 10 years older than us and a white male who's had a lot of success early right. on, you know, so I think. Right. That, so I wouldn't be surprised at all if there is a genuine part of him that believes that he's just if you're truly talented, right. he'll succeed mm -hmm, because exactly. that's all he's ever known. Right, right. And because he was and has always been incredibly talented and has a lot of success. So his own personal experience right. is going to validate that. And he doesn't realize how much easier it was for him because he was white right. male. Um, right. So I just I found that whole thing to be somewhat baffling. It's Interesting. And, you know, this is a total side note and doesn't have a lot to do with West Wing, mm -hmm. but I teach a gender studies course. Oh, fantastic. And one of the pieces of theory we read is reading as a woman, mm -hmm. which also discusses reading as a man. Sure. And it's all about seeing society through the lens that you're given mm -hmm. and that in some ways it would be impossible for him to fully understand or see what it would be like to write a script or screenplay and try to get it produced as a woman or try to get it produced as a minority. Right. Because um, he, he doesn't know, know so what that experience whole, is like. Right. There's this whole body of theory that just talks about how, you know, you're at a distinct disadvantage and you just see the world through your lens. So, yeah, but I mean, I don't know, like, I, I think I can empathize. I think that and also I think that if people who have that experience tell me that they're that this is their experience. I genuinely say, okay, you know, you're telling me what your experience is. So I'm going to believe that you know? right, <laughs> like, right, I'm going right, to understand that right, and like exactly. broaden my it's mind not. enough to, to like imagine a world in which this is your experience. Right. Yeah. And it should be more of a call to action, right? right? Like, so you see the world through your lens. Now try to see it this other way. Like exactly. understand that and be critical of the lens you're looking through. Exactly. So. so I don't know. I found it to be just this, this astounding, um, baffling thing. Um, and I still don't understand how he wasn't sarcastic when he said that stuff because I read it as clearly yes. sarcastic. Um, but it was interesting, and wow. I just thought, you know, I'd, I'd bring it up and kind of, kind of throw that out there because I thought it was an interesting thing to think about. But we have an episode of The West Wing to talk about. We have Chinese refugees to talk about. <laughs> Yes, we do. So we have this situation here where we've got these Chinese refugees who stowed away in a storage container. There were 96 of them. Um, 83 made it to California, the shores of California, alive. And now everybody's trying to figure out what to do with these Chinese refugees. Sorry, are we talking about expedited removal? That's not up to me. Well over three and a half centuries ago, strengthened by faith and bound by a common desire for liberty, a small band of pilgrims sought out a place in the new world where they could worship according to their own beliefs and solve crimes. Um, one of the things that I noticed um, is that we, we are often referring to them like Chinese as a noun. They're not Chinese people, but they are just the just Chinese, the Chinese. Right. which always right. made me a little bit uncomfortable. I don't know. If that's... I think that there are several incidents of that in West Wing where they sort of um, refer to a culture mm -hmm. as 
the yes exactly you no know, mm-hmm. it, 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 it's problematic <laughs> to yes. say the least and their <laughs> their ethnic their you know sensitivity to right and i mean our you know ethnicity. our understanding of this has obviously evolved a great deal in the last 15 years when i first watched all of these episodes i never noticed any of this i was just like oh my god you know sam seaborn so cute now rob Lowe, blah blah you know um because <laughs> i was i was young and it was rob Lowe. um but uh but and everybody was surprised he was having success do you remember this was after that huge um scandal oh, with yeah, Rob Lowe. yeah the sex tape and then and he was that. on the west wing and everyone you know he sort of there was like this black time in his life dark time where yeah. you didn't see him in anything and and all of a sudden he had the success on west wing and and it's completely um, so we we're just excited to see him again i, I think. know reinvigorated his career and i'm glad it did too yes, because he he would move on to do chris traeger on parks and rec which is my favorite version of rob Lowe. Ah. i love that guy <laughs> yes all right, so we've got all of this, all of this stuff going on. We're um, meddling once again, putting Josh and Mary Marsh in a room together. Oh, Mary Marsh! Mary Marsh oh. is the most obnoxious. I mean, they. I think they try not to, you know, vilify the religious right. We have Al Caldwell, who is always reasonable and always a good guy. You know, sitting right. there with Mary Marsh, who is just the worst in this meeting with Josh where she's telling him, you know, that the president better do what I say to do or else. These are people from a country that oppresses Christians. The president has to grant their asylum request. The president doesn't grant asylum requests. The INS judge does. The INS judge is going to do what the president urges him to do. And if the president doesn't urge the INS judge to grant the asylum, he's going to wish he had. Mary, I swear to God, you're not going to get anywhere in this building by threatening me. And then Al Caldwell comes to the rescue a little yeah, bit yes. the, when he offers to pay for the refugees to come if the government won't support them. So he seems like the exact sort of the binary of Mary Marsh, like the her foil. He seems to be there to show how bad she is. Exactly. And, and she how seems good... to be there to show how good he is. Exactly. And, and you know, to show that, that, that these people are not all the same. You know, that we paint them kind of with the same broad brush, but that there there is like a wide variety of, you know, the kinds of people that that are part of that religious right, you know. Um, And when Al Caldwell comes out and says, my church will pay the bond for these, you know, these refugees, that's a genuinely good moment because he really Mm -hmm. is stepping up to like help these people. And also one of the things I really liked is that we have Mary Marsh and she comes in and she starts making her demands. Al Caldwell is there with facts and data and persuasive arguments. You know, I mean, he's in there actually doing the work and paying attention to, you know, to what it is that he needs to tell these guys to make them aware of about what the experience is of being a, you know, a Christian in China, you know, which is something you don't really think about that much, you know, um, about the persecution of Christians in China. Um, So it was really kind of an interesting, um, interesting perspective on that, which I really liked. And then, of course, Sam comes straight at Mary Marsh and the scores of millions of American Christians and Christians around the world will not stand blithely by while religious freedom is threatened sure you will Sam no they will stand blithely by while religious freedom is threatened they're just not doing it this time okay is this about the play a guy writes a play called Apostles in which Jesus Christ is gay and you protest fine but when a guy threatens to blow up the theater you guys are nowhere to be heard from my play was disgusting so you're committed to religious freedom for all people unless you don't like what they have to say. That's not what I'm Don't look now, but I think the playwright's headed to China. <laughs> with, with his acknowledgement of, of course you will stand blithely by, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very tight scene, but a lot of stuff is happening, you know, in this space with these, with these, uh, these refugees. What did you think of this whole story? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so I... The episode as a whole, I love how it all ties together with yes. every ridiculous thing that's happening with CJ. And mm-hmm. and at first, you know, the first time I watched it, I was sort of like, that okay, yeah, Thanksgiving stuff, she's doing some weird stuff. And then I watched it mm-hmm. again, and um, with my dorky English teacher, I, I was starting <laughs> to notice that everything that was happening with CJ actually sort of ties in with what's happening with the refugees in a way. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So this idea, well, I mean, we can get to this later, but basically I loved it and I love how it all tied together. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the idea of shibboleth that yes. it's a custom that is no longer relevant 
Mm-hmm. And that idea relates to everything CJ's doing because none of the stuff she's doing is relevant to her. She doesn't even know what any of it means really. You know, she's like, oh, right. she's like, what song? What am I doing? What? I wasn't exactly. even here last year. What are you talking about? Where are these two? What are these turkeys for? <laughs> and it's just, you know, the idea that that shibboleth idea that kind of carries through the whole, I- the whole episode. I just loved how it mm-hmm. all tied together. It made me happy. No, I thought this, it was really nice the way we kind of had these stories dovetailing. Um, one of the things in the earlier episodes that we've looked at, there's um, there's usually like three or four different things happening, and they don't necessarily reflect on each other. Mm-hmm. But here we have a lot of things, you know, reflecting on each other that way. And I thought it was a really nice kind of tight episode. Yes. Um, that way, because we've got these, you know, these refugees, you know, and we've got to we've got to deal with that. We've got the president, you know, sitting down with. With uh, with the one guy and and asking him questions about you oh, know is I have, he oh, that I that scene drives me crazy. Yes. I want to tell you why. <laughs> you let okay, me know tell that. me why. So when I first watched the scene with Jed Bartlett questioning the refugee, I mm-hmm. I loved it. It you know kind of gave me warm fuzzies inside because he said just the right thing. And then mm-hmm. upon watching it a few more times, um. <laughs> It just strikes me as a little bit hypocritical that he is kind of grilling this guy and making this guy prove his faith to him before he'll let him into the country. And that felt a little bit disingenuous to me. And then knowing at the end, he says, do you think he says to Josh, do you think I really wouldn't have let him in? So the guy passed the test, huh? You think I would have sent him back if he failed catechism? So that whole scene, now I'm questioning the validity of that scene. Why did he call the man to him? Why did he have, why did that whole scene happen if at the end he says, I would have let him in anyway? Exactly. So I'm just conflicted about it. Well, yeah. And, you know, it feels a little strange to me because it's it's a nice conversation, you know, between the two of them. But when suddenly out of just the thin air, this guy pulls out shibboleth, this this weird old term that nobody knows except Bartlett. And he says shibboleth. And then at that moment, I'm like, that's a bit of a coincidence. Somebody prepped this guy. (laughs) (laughs) You think, plus, I mean, he had to be a little bit nervous meeting with the president and knowing that the fate of his people that he's with rely on him saying the right thing. Right. Exactly. Like I'm going to go in here and talk to this guy, you know, this president about whatever. And then possibly what I say could get everybody, you know, killed essentially because they got to go back to to china you know where where people yeah. are going to be pissed stakes are pretty high yeah no yeah. the stakes the are, stakes are the stakes high. are really really high and uh so yeah no it it's it's on the surface a nice moment you know because it's it seems yes. so cool and the and the tr- you know the transfer of ideas and talking about faith you know it is but it is it is you're right it is a little awkward and weird because it's like okay so regardless like like if these people aren't genuinely christian if they're just claiming that you know regardless of what the reality is that these people stuffed themselves into a shipping container to come to the united states whatever they were facing in china regardless of whether it's religious persecution or not is obviously a lot worse than stuffing themselves in a shipping container for two months and a a bunch of them dying you know, and again, coming to, right, so like, no matter what, right, wouldn't matter yeah. what religion they were, they're fleeing something, they're fleeing so, something that's worse than that, you know, exactly. so, um, and also, side note, those sandwiches that were sitting on the table the entire time, <laughs> you know, that guy isn't going to sit there and eat a sandwich in the middle of his you know, inquisition with the American president. Um, but you also know he's starving. So like, Give I just the guy a cookie. Like, just walk away and let him eat a sandwich, then come back and talk to him. Oh God, the poor guy. Well, I hope that, you know, oh, it had yeah. been a little while. I would hope that they had fed them Maybe somebody had at the INS facility. Yeah. Um, 
Yes, hopefully. So we go through this whole thing. Um, we go through this whole thing with these, you know, we're putting them through the, the Inquisition and we're sit down. And then we have Leo's recitation of all the reasons why politically they don't want to pick a fight with China. You know, they're selling um, planes yes. to them and all this kind of stuff. We're trying to sell more 747s to China already, a big customer. We want China to crack down on violators of American copyrights. We're trying to get China to negotiate a settlement with Tibet. And then we have this, um, <laughs> this like, like weird Ocean's Eleven plan to like <laughs> let them escape. <laughs> that these eighty-three emaciated, exhausted Chinese people, refugees, yeah, overpowered, overpowered the INS, overpowered yeah. the INS people um, at the INS detention fil- facility, and just and but here's the other thing though. We now have, because of that, like, unless I'm misunderstanding what happened here, and please correct me if I am, we now have 83 Chinese people mm-hmm. in California Where? somewhere <laughs> right. with no no papers. They're illegal immigrants. They can't. It's real hard to, like, what are these people? Where are you sending? Are where they are just they wandering around in the middle of California? Most of California is kind of a desert. Like where? Where are these people? Where are they going? You know? Where are they going? Well, and please I know, tell I me so you many, at least dropped so them gaps. off at a double tree or something. You know? <laughs> Ship those sandwiches to them. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Like set them up with yes. something. But I mean. We're just like the fact that they escaped the INS facility means that they don't have to go back to China, which I guess is a good thing. But right. hot damn, like, give, them a, like give, give them a hot meal in a room. Give them so at least let them well, let them wait at the yeah. INS detention facility for two weeks until they've they've eaten for like a significant <laughs> period of time before right. you just right. release them right. out. You know, with no resources. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But this show's about the big ideas. They can't get bogged down in those details. It is. We need to deal with big, you know, it, ideology. The big, the big thing. I know. It's one of those things, like, and I do this all the time with every television show, is, you know, you, once you start thinking about it from the perspective of reality, you know, right. <laughs> things, I mean, yeah. things start to fall apart a little bit. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's like every piece of literature I ever try to teach my kids <laughs> in, in high school. But wait, how is this possible? How could this happen? No. Okay. Well, you know, you're the same kid who loves Star Wars. Exactly. So, <laughs> so broaden your mind. You're gonna have to suspend disbelief. For a I little know. While. Well, I mean, you know, my big thing is reality is no defense for fiction. It's no condemnation <laughs> of fiction. Fiction is its own thing, and its relationship to reality is definitely malleable. Um, but at the same time, yeah. I'm like, okay, what what the hell is happening with these people? I'm not sure we did <laughs> them a big favor. Maybe they feel like they're still out there. I know. Well, at we least it's not the middle of them. summer. At least it's November in California, which is a little bit more <laughs> <Right>. temperate. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So our next storyline is uh, the comic relief that is CJ with these turkeys. Um, right. You know, we open up with, um, you know, with uh, Sam and Toby in the office. CJ comes in. Josh is there flipping a coin 16 times. You know, it's all this stuff. Yes. And she has this great line where she says to them, you're like a bunch of seniors after finals. Exactly. And which, so I teach second semester seniors. Oh, sure you do. And it's pretty much dead That's on. That's pretty yeah. much how it is. Yeah. Well, We're also, attention to anything you I know. And CJ was sick last year. Nobody remembers that except Donna. You weren't here last year. When? Over Thanksgiving, you were sick. Yes. Every year on Thanksgiving, the president pardons a turkey. He pardons turkey? Yeah, and it's your event, so... Why are there two? I'm sorry? Why are there two turkeys? Customarily, the press secretary decides... No. ...which of the two finalists is more photogenic. Their names... I don't want to know their names. This one's Eric, and this one's Troy. Eric and Troy. Yeah. And I'm to choose the more photogenic of the two to receive a presidential pardon. Yeah. Okay, I have actually a master's degree from the University of California at Berkeley. That's a good school. Yeah. And the thing that's so funny is that as a, one of the early episodes of Jed Bartlett is My President that I did was with Rebecca Lavoie, who had this whole thing about how CJ is constantly like my, the question that I asked her, she's a crime writer, is if anybody was going to snap and like murder somebody, who would it be? She's like, it would totally be <laughs> CJ. And now CJ. every week, every week I see what these people are doing to CJ. And Why? I'm like, no, she's right. <laughs> she deserves so much credit for not just... For not killing these people. For not killing these people. (laughs) Um, You know, and this whole thing with the press secretary usually leads the kids in song. I honestly, God, thought they were playing a joke on her through the whole 
episode, and then she really did have to. I know. I was like, wait, what? I thought, really? That's what I thought, too. I thought that they were messing with her and that she was going to go out there and start singing. They'd all stare at her like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> but right. no, yeah. no, that was a genuine, it was a genuine thing. She was leading them in song. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, the whole thing, I mean, it was it was fun and it was funny, but I'm beginning to feel like the story of the West Wing is like this tragic descent into madness for CJ, who is always <laughs> getting like, she's always at the bottom of the hill. You know? Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, she, and she later... Can we do spoilers here? Everybody's seen like the whole series, right? Uh, That's going to be most of it. Yeah, we're, we're kind of hopping around, so it's okay. I was just going to say later in the seasons, mm-hmm. she, you know, ascends yes. to higher levels. Yes, she does. Um, mm-hmm. So she kind of gets hers in the end, I guess, but. Then on again, I don't know if that's really a reward. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, as the only woman in senior staff, I kind of find it yeah. a little alarming the way that everybody deals with CJ and the way that she's uh, always, yeah, always getting this stuff. Um, agreed. And we've got this, uh, you know, and she's also the funny press secretary, which I always find really interesting because, like, you cannot make a joke as a press secretary. <laughs> like, people, because, you know, the whole thing, like, the, when I was reading that stuff at the top of the episode about Aaron Sorkin, like, you know, if, if anybody writes down exactly what you say and your inflection isn't there while you're making these jokes, like, you're really trusting right. all of these people in the press to like understand your sense of humor and to not print the <laughs> jokes that you might be saying. Will the White House be meeting with leaders of the Christian community to hear their input? Yes, we will. On the following days, we'll be meeting with the Reverend Al Caldwell, members of Beijing's embassy and INS agents. The president has asked Josh Lyman and Sam Seaborn to run these meetings, so it's entirely possible that by week's end we'll have alienated Christians, China, and our own government. So, wait. Is what you're saying that Sean Spicer hasn't been joking this whole time? Oh, God, I can't. I can't. This is the reason why I, one hour, one hour a week, Liz, is all I ask Sorry. where I don't have to think about what is actually happening in the world. Just one hour a week. That's all I'm asking. I broke from the theme. That's all right. That's all right. Let's go back yeah. to where, where CJ is our, CJ Craig is our funny press secretary. So. Yes, she's our funny press secretary. Yes, she's really, really fun. But I think my favorite part of this, the whole thing, though, is at the end when she tries to get the president to pardon another turkey. I love it. (laughs) And he drafts it into military service instead. Morton, this is President Bartlett. Hey, Morton. Wow. Well said. Is that the turkey? Yes. Your pardon. Sir. What do you want? Well, you know. By the power vested in me by the Constitution of the United States, I hereby pardon you. Okay. No, it's not okay. Sir. Morton, I can't pardon a turkey. If you think I can pardon a turkey, then you have got to go back to your school and insist that you be better prepared to go out in the world. You can't pardon a turkey? No. I'll tell you what I can do. I'm drafting this turkey into military service. In the meantime, somebody will be drafting a check, which will have my signature on it, so the folks can buy themselves a butterball. I like the the part of that where um, CJ tells Donna and Morton to take the turkey back. And she says, and don't forget to support his hindquarters. Exactly. <laughs> the president looks at CJ like, what's wrong what's with his hindquarters? Hind and she's like, not him, not Morton, <laughs> turkey. <laughs> I know. I mean, it is. It's a really, really fun. It's it's well written. It's really funny. I, I'm, I'm a little tired of CJ always being the comic relief, always kind of being the butt of yes. the joke. But yeah. Alice and Janney, as always, is amazing with this stuff. And and uh, and she just did a wonderful job. So it was it was really really fun, and I enjoyed this this story a lot. And I enjoyed the turkeys. I thought the turkeys were real cute. They did a great job. Yes. They really did. Yes. Both of them. They should have both been saved. Uh, well, they were in the end. Yeah. <laughs> Although they you want to hear because they knew <laughs> you want to hear the depressing turkey just... news that I figured out while I was wandering through Wikipedia. <laughs> Or those turkeys. Yeah, those no donated. those turkeys. These turkeys that they like these are from the regular, you know, group of turkeys that they breed specifically to okay. be obese and huge on your on your Thanksgiving table. <sighs> so because they breed these turkeys in to be like unhealthy, unhealthily large, <laughs> that the turkeys that get pardoned, yeah, they go to a farm for a while. But they're going to die in like eight months anyway, because they're just... they can't even carry around that weight. Right. I wasn't going to share that, you know, in this episode, because I That's thought I want to be fine. cheerful. I don't want to be like connected with reality. But that is that is the actual reality. Those turkeys are just not going to oh, last man. that much longer anyway. <laughs> well, you know, life. this whole episode, you could say, is a little bit about the underdog. So it certainly is. Both of those turkeys 
or underdog. It certainly not is. just the one that didn't get, you know. Yeah. Sad. No, it is. It's, it's all very sad. So let's let's keep moving through this story. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've got Leo's sister um, and Toby just gunning for a fight. My sister call you and ask you for this? She did not call me. I'm amazed. She called me. I'm less amazed. Take her name off the list. Not patronage if she's qualified. Sir. Which she is. PhD in education, six years as a principal, four years as superintendent, and a significant Democrat. They'll bring up school prayer. No kidding. Mr. President, please don't hop on the back of Toby's horse. It'll take you to a fight we're not geared up for. We are geared up for it, and if we're not, we should get out. Sure, you first. I don't even know what it was. Some kind of nominee. All I remember is a recess appointment and a nominee. But she's going to be working with education, right? assistant secretary to education for elementary and secondary ed. Wow. (laughs) Wow. You caught that. I could not. I I missed that whole thing. (laughs) Well, I was trying to figure out why why is this such an important important appointment Mm -hmm. and then um leo had that great line where he's like this doesn't have anything to do with infrastructure or security or you know so i was like well what is that position so (laughs) yeah well all right all right well that's good i'm glad i'm glad you're here to like catch up on these details for me (laughs) because obviously (laughs) i'm missing it (laughs) well you know just that one thing right um i do i would like to point out So when they bring, maybe this is jumping ahead a little bit, but when they show the picture of her um, standing next to the students who've been handcuffed for praying Mm -hmm. in a group. So I, that would never, never, ever happen. It doesn't seem, (laughs) no, I have in my notes. I'm like, okay, so a kid, a kid prays in school and we're supposed to separate, like, you know, I mean, we're supposed to separate, you know, prayer from the schools and there's not supposed to be all that kind of stuff. But like, if somebody breaks a rule at school, like you, you put them in in-school suspension, you don't handcuff them, right? <laughs> but also there's no rule against prayer in school. Like a kid can pray. If a kid wants to sit and pray, go for it. If you want to pray with some friends, awesome. There's the no, nothing can't. is going to happen to them. It's just that I can't say to my class, everyone get together and let's pray together exactly, right, right? It can't be, yeah, it cannot be state sanctioned <laughs> or sponsored. That being said, yeah. we do the pledge every single day. Mm-hmm. And the pledge says under, under God. God. Absolutely. Right. But, um, we can't require kids to do that, mm-hmm. but we do it as a group every day. Mm-hmm. But you know, there most kid most schools have clubs for different you know religious things or whatever it is they want to do. So I mean, I don't know if this is because of the time when West Wing was out, but I can tell you that I don't know of ever there being an incident where somebody was punished for <laughs> praying in school on their own. That's not to say they wouldn't be ostracized or you know um, there wouldn't be social consequences, but. Oh, sure. I Never, mean, ever, ever. There may <laughs> well be, depending on the school and depending yeah. on the community that they're in. But yeah, I mean, that's right. the thing. Like, it's it's that the teachers... So if anybody was going to get cuffed, it would be like a teacher who was forcing kids to pray. <laughs> right. But and instead, there's like these handcuffed kids, one of whom is in the marching band or something. Like. Right. Yeah. <laughs> He's wearing a marching man, um, yeah, outfit. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay, yeah, okay. I'm yeah. really glad because I I was thinking about this, and I'm like, this doesn't really make any sense to me. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, I know there's not supposed to be like prayer in schools, but it's just not supposed to be government sanctioned prayer or government right. forced prayer. But anybody who wants right. to pray, by the way, which you can do. Yeah silently you can you could be praying all day long ain't nobody gonna know <laughs> in fact many of my students probably are right when the test yeah. comes in that's when they start praying yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> so we've got toby gunning for this fight and he really wants this fight and i love we've got this one moment where he's walking down the hallway right after al caldwell mm-hmm. and josh are talking good morning toby you look determined i am sir Good boy. And of course, Toby is determined to get prayer out of schools, <laughs> which is something that Al Caldwell right. would be against. But the two of them, you know, kind of connect in this moment. And I thought that was a really nice bit of detail. Yeah, that's really cool. And I also love how that whole part, that whole part with Leo's sister complicates the story of the Chinese refugees yes. because mm-hmm. they're fleeing religious persecution while Leo's sister is practicing it here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I loved the tie-in of those two things oh, and, and how complicated that was. I thought it was great. And one of the things I love that they're doing, which they didn't do as much in the earlier episodes, but they're really getting the hang of now, is that they're making everything personal. 
You know, it's not Mm -hmm. just some nominee that they're pulling in. It's Leo's sister. You know, that these things are all like the more personal you make these stories, the more resonant they become, you know. And and I love that we've got Leo, you know, confronting his sister about the the photographer that she called, you know, I think his name is Obadiah Jones or something like that. Um, and, And realizing that not only did she apparently handcuff children for praying, <laughs> but I was so proud of it that she called in the press to take the picture. Ahead of time. Yeah, ahead you know, of time. So, this is going to happen. Be here. Yeah, so I'm with Leo. Like, this this woman obviously oh, yeah. cannot be in charge of anything. <laughs> right. But I find yeah. the, um, the argument there, um, uh, you know, gunning for a fight on school prayer, which does not seem to be a fight that really needs a priority. You know, it seems to be like we just simply like, if no government officials, if no representatives of the school are enforcing, are like forcing prayer on somebody, then you're set, you're fine. Um, But when we come to this ending, this moment where Toby is talking about, you know, his defense of why he wants to pick this fight. I'll tell you why it should be front and center. It's not the First Amendment, it's not religious freedom, it's not church and state, it's not abstract. What is it? It's the fourth grader who gets his ass kicked at recess because he sat out the voluntary prayer in homeroom. It's another way of making kids different from other kids. And they're required by law to be there. That's why you want a front and center, fourth grader, that's the prize. What'd they do to you? Once again, we're making this personal for Toby. Now, the argument itself doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you know, right. I mean, I think yeah. I think we're kind of in the same place we were with the 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 presidential inquisition, right? You know, it's right. like in the moment, it's great, you know, and it's awesome. But if you scratch yes. that surface just a little bit, <laughs> it ceases to make. Yeah really any sense you know i mean i understand Except when you think about like if you so if you put um toby um as a parallel also yeah. to the refugees mm-hmm. so he's you know apparently this is a personal situation that happened to him yeah. when he didn't want to participate in a particular religion or prayer mm-hmm. and so that kind of links him to the refugee story in a way yeah. so yeah i can see why they went there yeah well no i mean because see they're telling all of these these religious stories which i think is really neat and they dovetail nicely together you know yes. but but yeah. it, it just doesn't make like you know sense like it just doesn't like <laughs> why is this doesn't make sense. I, I mean i like the fact that toby is gunning for a fight because the thing is that toby will always if he believes in something <laughs> if he believes yes. in something man he will just dig in his heels and fight the fight and get dirty and muddy and i kind of love that about him like he's he's not about the political expediency he's not about being an operative you know most of the time most of the time he's about the ideal you know like what is it that is that is worth fighting for like he's he's in this white house for a certain period of time and while he's there he's going to make these differences and i love that that's one of my favorite things about toby so i love that he's gunning for a fight i mean i love the whole thing except that it doesn't make any sense (laughs) except that we don't arrest children (laughs) for praying (laughs) if they want to pray they could pray um so yeah I, i i find that really a little bit weird but I, I like that we've brought it we've brought it into this personal realm it's personal for toby it's personal for leo um you know i like this whole thing although toby is absolutely like i mean i love toby but he's completely wrong in this whole situation yeah he goes off the rails a little bit he on this does one. he does go off the rails and i don't really understand yeah. what the the motivation is for that um but it's yeah. fun to watch you know yes, it's it is. it's enjoyable to watch at a really good time <laughs> Yeah, I know. I know. It's so, and it's fun to watch him be intense about anything. You know, of course, he's intense about everything, Mm -hmm. which I just love about him. Yeah, no, he's he's fantastic. Um, So we've also got this this wonderful little thing sort of happening on the side with Charlie and the president's carving knife. I love it. I know, isn't it fantastic? I love it. I know. It's, I just loved it so much. Well, yeah. I love one of the things that I, I love about this is I love that President Bartlett is a nerd about everything. 
like there is nothing that he cannot pull out some obscure fact about you know (laughs) which is why none of them want to go eat uh thanksgiving dinner with him him and the first family i know i know we have this thing with josh right josh says i don't want to find out about the history of the yam and then later on when he comes in you know we've got the uh he says you know the yam is actually a blah 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 or whatever you know um right and i just i I love that because i thought that was a nice little callback and one of those things that i've missed you know like the few times that i've watched this episode i missed it every time until this one last time i watched it i was like oh wait there's the yam thing we're calling back (laughs) awesome you know but i love that we've got this wonderful three beat you know where uh we've got all this stuff happening there's all this activity it is this very low level thing that's happening in the background charlie comes in first with an american made knife and the president examines it and looks it over and he's like nope it's not right sends him away and charlie (laughs) says okay right then he comes in with the second knife which is a german knife and which is what you know president bartlett requested and he looks at it and he goes over and he sends it back and charlie says okay and then we have because the thing about the three beat of course is the first time you set up the second time you you affirm the the setup and then the third time you subvert it you know and so in the third time he comes in with a japanese knife what you got, Charles? A winner, Mr. President. The 1985 Komen Yomata. Made in Japan from the best materials available. Lighter weight blade, which facilitates cutting and reduces user fatigue. I once chest drove the Komen Yomata. And? Not wild about it. How about this? Okay, Mr. President. I say this with all possible respect, but each of these knives cuts, you know, meat. Why is it important? Because it's something we pass on. Something with a history, so we can say, my father gave this to me, and his father gave it to him, and now I'm giving it to you. Well, okay, sir, but if that's true, then why don't you already have one? I do have one. Why do you need a new one? I'm giving mine away. To whom? To whom? Funny you should ask. And then he hands Charlie this knife. Oh, God. Oh, I love it. It just crushes me. I love it so much. I know, because it's the whole handing it down from father to son. And of course, he doesn't have a son. He has three daughters who I think are probably going to be pretty pissed off because this is a Paul Revere knife. (laughs) They might be able to use a knife to carve a turkey. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if women are allowed to do that. I don't that, know if women but, can do that. Um, women save turkeys. Sure. Women are soft. We, women are soft right. on turkeys. Just like the president. We them, but we cannot carve them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but Charlie is a man. He has a penis and therefore yes, he can carve. He can carve um, yes. man turkeys. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, also, and I, I don't mean to criticize because I do love this moment. Yes, and I love, I love any moment. Too with um jed bartlett and charlie i just love the relationship between those Mm -hmm. two and um you know it reminds me of the first few episodes when charlie first started and how he was so in awe Mm -hmm. of everything and the president and the white house and he almost didn't take the job because he you know he actually came to the white house to interview for some other job and so he was just sort of taken by everything and then to get to this moment where he's being given this amazing gift Mm -hmm. It just, it gets me every time. However, (laughs) would you ever give something away that was given to you and made by Paul Revere? (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Don't you like leave that in a will? You know, rather than like, <laughs> I'm not down. sure. I, I don't know, but I still love. I love it all the more that it was Paul Revere. I, I mean, it, it kind of makes sense. They're from New England. Yeah, but. well, it makes sense. They're from New England. It's also like the kind of thing that I don't know. And and again, this could just be me. That's the kind of thing I think you leave to a museum. Like, that's Paul Revere, right. you know? And I also, <laughs> yeah. like, have, have a hard time believing. And and somebody who knows a lot about knives and, and Paul Revere and, and, you know, 18th century blacksmiths may be able to, like, you know, uh, give me an education on this. But it seems yeah. to me that all of these knives, these modern day, you know, top of the line, height of technology knives that Charlie has been getting are not, you know, in a lot of ways better than the 300-year-old knife. How dare you? (laughs) I know, I know. I haven't gotten any hate mail yet for Jed Bartlett, but this is going to happen. Like, this is going to be my first hate mails. People are going to be like, how dare you say that the 300-year-old knife made by Paul Revere Revere. is not good enough. Yeah. You know, it's interesting how so if you were the actor in that moment and you were told that okay you're giving away this knife that paul revere made for you and you have to make that seem meaningful and real Mm -hmm. and i just think about what an amazing job he did yeah in 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 making that real and making that emotional and meaningful and understated and it was you know 
as as kind of ridiculous as that is it was an amazing moment i loved it yeah no i i, I loved it and i bought it and it was great and then i, I thought about it <laughs> right. right well you know after you watch it the third time you're like hmm. exactly like i think i think what we're learning here today is just don't think just don't think about it just accept it for what it is <laughs> Um, but one of the things I also really like about this episode, you know, um, coming off of <laughs> Charlie and the President's Carving Knife, which is, again, don't think about it too hard, um, <laughs> is that we open up with Sam reading that speech, you know, the the opening oh, yeah. speech that he's he's writing for the president on this Thanksgiving day, you know, and of course, he ends it with this lovely, you know, and they fight crime, you know, <laughs> <laughs> trying to pitch yes. the, the Pilgrim uh, detective show, which I thought was really fun. Yeah. And then we, we turn that around at the end because the president ends up, you know, making that statement, reading that statement in this very genuine way, in this very genuine moment. Well, over three and a half centuries ago, strengthened by faith and bound by a common desire for liberty, a small band of pilgrims sought out a place in the new world where they could worship according to their own beliefs. Now, therefore, I, Josiah Bartlett, President of the United States, by virtue of the authority and laws vested in me, do hereby proclaim this to be a national day of thanksgiving. After after all of these ridiculous things have happened here today, after we've sent right. we've sent 83 emaciated Chinese people off to, to die in the wilderness of California, <laughs> yeah. and we've given away a 300 year old knife, um, you know, to uh, to this kid, which is very, very sweet. But still a little mm -hmm. weird, and um, you know, and we've we've had these turkeys in CJ's office, and we have you know children being handcuffed for for praying, you know, <laughs> for praying right. near a school, <laughs> near right, you know, yeah, yeah. exactly. You can pray on the bus until you get onto the school grounds, and then and that's then it. You're no done. praying, no within praying. Feet of the school. Exactly. <laughs> so all of these ridiculous things, and then we end with this this wonderful callback to the beginning of the episode. We have the the love dovetailing of these thematic um, things that are happening, you know, with all the, the religious, the different aspects on religion that are happening in this episode. You know, the turkey stuff is really fun. Um, all of it is so much fun. And so it's such a great episode of television. It's so fun to kind of like be there with something that is that is this tightly woven together. Um, and so let me ask you a question. Like, why did you, you chose the episode? I usually try to let the guests cho choose the episode unless they don't have a preference and then I just pick one. Um, but you okay. chose this episode. Why did you choose this episode? Well, so I teach Walt Whitman mm -hmm. in my, um, American lit class and we begin the course with it because Whitman was one of the first writers that was trying to determine like a true American literature. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, what, what would American literature look like? America was so new at the time. And while I was watching this episode, Whitman just kept going through my head the whole time mm -hmm. because this episode, you know, it, it, for all of its goofiness, had a lot to say about who we are. Right. You know, our country was founded on this idea of religious freedom, and it was a episode all about relig religious persecution. Mm -hmm. And um, I just, I kept having, and, and it was also an episode full of contradictions. Yeah. Um, and how we as a country are full of contradictions. You know, we, we um, preach religious freedom, but at the same time, we don't allow it in certain places, mm -hmm. you know, and there's just so many contradictions. So um, I think because as I was watching it, Whitman was going through my head, mm -hmm. um, I, it made me fall in love with it. Oh, well, that's so, really nice. I yeah, like that. I love Whitman. So. Yeah, no, that was one of the things I, I liked from the beginning of the episode, too, is you're talking about how, you know, we have these these, you know, Chinese um, refugees who who escaped, you know, their country in search of religious freedom and landed on our shores. And then we go straight to Sam talking about the pilgrims who did the same thing, that that right. was how that was how we ended up here in the first place was in this search for religious freedom and then we look at these religious issues from all of these different directions to the point where we have Al Caldwell and Toby both on a completely different mission within the White House you know kind of genially mm -hmm. passing each other in the hallway and and sharing their greetings together 
you know? Right. And congratulating, you know, Caldwell congratulating him on being passionate about what he's passionate about, even though it's the opposite of what. It's the opposite thing. These like ships in the night, these, these religious ships in the night, you know? Right. And and, okay. So that actually that scene right there Mm -hmm. is, um, the, is what made one of the reasons that Whitman was going through my head because yeah. Whitman was all about contradiction mm-hmm. and hope. Like that's what our country can be about. We can have contradiction and we can exist on the same plane and, and allow for all those differences. Right. And, and with I those differences, it. these two men see each other and greet each other and smile and are kind to each other. And, right. you know, it's, it's this tiny little moment in the middle of this episode that has all of this stuff going on mm-hmm. and yet i think it i think it may be like my favorite part of the episode you know just these I feel two like guys. that moment has a lot of weight to yeah. it purposely yeah. like i think when you rewatch the episode it it just everything kind of slows down for that moment mm-hmm. and, the, and it's pretty clear that they wanted it to have weight yeah you know there's not a lot of other things going on right then no there really isn't and there's no reason to have these people cross in the hallway but they do but i think it's one of these mm-hmm. things that's easy to miss like if you're just watching the yeah episode and you're like la 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 you know and letting it go right, by right. if you're not actively taking notes you know which is what it usually <laughs> yeah. requires for me to pay attention at that level um i think right. it's something that that could easily be missed but i i love that that kind of connection with the two of them just passing each other on these completely opposite missions you know mm-hmm. and yet both good men who believe in their ideals you know and who who are genuinely good people really earnest trying to get mm-hmm. something done for the for the ultimate betterment of of everyone right you know and so i love that and the episode ending the way it does mm-hmm. is so interesting to me i wanted to see what you thought of the last scene in this in the episode mm-hmm. when they leave the oval office and the secret service person closes the door and the camera is just looking through the window into the Oval Office. Yeah. And then you hear that weird singing in the background, <laughs> which I think is the song that CJ is leading them in. Mm-hmm. But um, just so looking in at the Oval Office, yeah, through that, I felt like was a hopeful shot. Yeah, but you're also looking through this glass you know, and, and the mm-hmm. glass has, has flowed. It looks like this old glass, you know, like this yes. like 400 year old glass, which it's, it's not, it shouldn't be, it should be bulletproof, but whatever, but right. it has that. That's <laughs> makes it look weird. Right. Know. But what? it has that, that, that look of like a window that has been there for hundreds of years that, that when you look through that glass, everything is slightly distorted. You know, you can't <sighs> ever see into the oval office terribly clearly you know so when whenever i look through the glass in those windows it is so beautiful but it also like you're looking through hundreds of years into the oval office and Mm -hmm. and what that means you know i mean so for me like whenever they have a shot looking into the oval office through that glass it always feels you know like like we're we're broadening our perspective on on what it is that happens in any given moment in that office you know um and everything that's happened through through hundreds of years in that office and everything that can happen Mm -hmm. in the future yeah. 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 No, it's 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 pretty crazy. I, I really, really like this episode a great deal. Um, and I think it was it was really nicely directed to by Laura Ennis. I really like the way the um, you know, we, we've got a general West Wing house style of, you know, the walk and talk and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's a nice sense of movement, you know, throughout this episode. Um, and uh, and I really like that as well. Um, is there anything else that we haven't hit on that you wanted to talk about? Um, I think think the only thing that I wanted to add was yes. my little Whitman quote that I've been thinking in my head. Oh, yes, yes. Um, so when we study Whitman in the fall, mm-hmm. I asked my students to do a project where they spread the word of Whitman around the campus. Uh-huh. And so um, one of my students painted a mural in my room of these lines that are some of my favorite lines from Song of Myself. And I feel like it just ties in so well with this episode. Oh, yeah. So Whitman says in part of his poem, Um, He questions, do I contradict myself? Very well, then I contradict myself. I am large. I contain multitude. Oh, yeah, that's a great one. That's fantastic. And it's 
you know, it's, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Like we, um, we as a country contradict ourselves in so many ways and, and we should allow for those contradictions. Oh yeah. No, I love that. I think that's great. And this episode contradicts itself in like 12 different ways. (laughs) And I think that's okay. That's okay. And I think some of that (laughs) is purposeful, you know, (laughs) some of it is purposeful actually. Yes. I like that. <laughs> All right, that'll do it for this week's episode of Jed Bartlett is my president. Sadly, it's time to push back from the table full of starchy comfort foods and get back to the real world where there's real work to be done. But I hope this little break has given you the will to go out there and light a candle in the darkness. And as you do, remember these words from Shakespeare's The Merchant of Venice. How far that little candle throws his beams, so shines a good deed in a weary world. So thank you to Liz Lutz for hanging out with me this week, baby. It was so much fun having you here. Thank you so much. I loved it. I'll do it anytime. Oh my God. I want to have you back. You're so great. And you always see these things that I don't see. And you're so smart. What I love about you is how smart you are. That's what I want. (laughs) (laughs) You are awesome. Thank you so much. I love you too. (laughs) I'll be back next week with my daughter and co-host of the upcoming Sassanax Outlander podcast, Sarah Schwalbe, and our thoughts on episode 17 of season three, the U.S. Poet Laureate, in which Toby flirts awkwardly with Laura Dern. Until then, here's a word from your president. They made it to the new world, Josh. You know what I get to do now? I get to proclaim a national day of Thanksgiving. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, President of the United States. This is a great job. Jed Bartlett is My President is a Chipperish Media production. To get exclusive Chipperish content and access to a community of amazing people, go to patreon.com slash chipperish. All clips in this podcast were used under the fair use exemption for criticism and commentary of the U.S. Copyrights Act.